Hey, what's going on? Shane with Shane Hubbard Fit and the Barbells and Burgers podcast, bringing you another episode, episode 16. We are going to be talking about full body versus body body split workouts. Uh, I had a hard time saying that for some reason. So full body workouts versus body split workouts. And then we're going to talk about the common phrase that I hear. I don't eat that much, but I can't seem to lose weight. And we're also going to talk about why your relationship with food matters and why it took me so long to really understand what that means. And so I'll make it a little bit more relatable for you if you're kind of confused what that phrase typically means. So um, one quick little announcement or a couple of quick announcements, I guess. Uh, the, the free fat loss calculator is still a PDF form. I haven't got around to making an actual calculator, but it's on my to-do list. If you want to download it, it's going to be in the show notes. So you can go to the show notes, click that link or highlight it and copy it and put it in your browser and you can download the fat loss calculator there. Also, I am uh, currently open enrolled for coaching clients up until May 15th. 10 spots are available per month. I've got six people already signed up, so there's four spots left. So if between now and May 15th, which is only a couple of days away, uh, you're interested in at least applying for coaching, getting more information, you have a couple of more days before that expires for the rest of the month, and then you'll have to wait a whole nother month to sign up in June. So those are the two announcements. Um, I am recording this on Mother's Day, so happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, and happy Mother's Day to my own mother, who I text this morning, and, and we talked a little bit. I told her she's been a mother for 30 years because I'm 30 years old and uh, she's enjoying her day so far. So again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and happy Mother's Day to my mom. All right, so let's go ahead and get into our first topic, which is going to be full body versus body split or body part split workouts. So I oftentimes will get a question from um, slightly more advanced lifters, so you know, more in the like intermediate area, uh, which one is more effective, full body workouts or body part split workouts? <clears throat> and I wouldn't say that either one is more effective. I think it depends on a couple of things. For instance, if you are someone who is sort of strapped for time, you can spend working out. A full body workout is much more effective. Um, also, if you are sort of going for a more hypertrophy or fat loss goal, I usually recommend doing full body workouts uh, just because the efficiency that you can get things done is is greater with a full body workout. The only time that I really think that body part splits are necessary is when you are doing you know, more uh, strength-based training, so specifically for strength. So like maybe you do bench press one day and then you do deadlifts another day and then you do squats another day where you really need that time to recover and you also need that much dedication on a particular lift um, where it's going to take the majority of your workout. So like for instance, I I've done both and typically speaking, the most effective fat loss slash muscle building workouts are full body. And then if I'm going purely for strength, like when I try to bring up my bench press because it's usually my weakest lift, I'll usually do more of like a body part split so I can spend a lot of time um, you know, cause I, I usually only like to spend about 45 minutes to an hour in the gym. I don't want to spend more time than that either because I've got other stuff I got to do, or I just want to try to stay as efficient with my workouts as possible. So I typically like to cap at about an hour. 
Um, and that does include include my warm up. And, you know, I work with a lot of people that an hour is plenty of time. Um, I am a weight loss coach. I'm not a strength coach. So, you know, a lot of my clientele, 45 minutes to an hour is perfect. If you're somebody who can and is willing to spend more time in the gym and you're willing to, you know, really dedicate some, you know, focused time to strength, then yeah, you can spend some more time in the gym, especially considering when you're focusing on a strength building routine as it's, you know, focal point of, of whatever phase you're in, you're going to spend more time resting in between sets. So, you know, you might be, you know, in the gym for an hour and a half, but you really were only physically working out for 45 minutes because you needed more rest in between. So there's lots of different reasons why you would want to do one or the other. Um, that being said, there is kind of a, you know, a middle ground or a gray area. Um, I've done workout programs that are full body, but they split the body parts into five different days. It's kind of like this, it's really more for hypertrophy when you're really trying to push the, the, the limit on, on volume, or if you're trying to fit more volume in, I should say. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about volume and stuff on a, in a different episode. Cause it's just, it's own topic really. Um, but like, let's say that your goal is fat loss and you're also trying to stay within about an hour. Full body workouts are going to be your best bet where you're doing sort of a little bit of everything. Um, you don't have to do everything. Like it doesn't have to be every single muscle group because a lot of muscle groups are worked together when you do. Um, you know, full range, or I should say more dynamic type exercises, like a squat isn't just working your quads. It's also working your glutes and, you know, like a push-up doesn't just work your chest. It also, you know, works your, your back and your shoulders. It doesn't particularly work your back in the sense that like you're going to build a huge back, but you have to use the muscles to, in your back to stabilize during a push-up. Um, you know, bicep curls would be an exercise that's uh, typically what referred to as a single joint movement. So again, you have your multi-joint movements, you have your single joint movements. Multi-joints are things like deadlifts, push-ups, um, rows, like standing rows, lat pull-downs, um, although that's kind of like a middle area. And then single joint movements are typically things like bicep curls and tricep push-downs or tricep, you know, uh, dips, uh, things like that. So you know, my recommendation is first understand how much time you want to spend in the gym. And again, most of the people I work with, I, I really don't work with anyone who can spend more than three or four days in the gym. So I like to give them full body routines and you can get a lot done with full body routines. There's even some studies just show that full body routines are more effective for building muscle, but I don't, I don't think that that has like extremely strong merit. I think you can still build a really nice physique with body part splits. So again, it depends on how much time you want to spend in the gym, how much time you want to spend working out with weights every single week, because that does matter. When you split the body into parts, you have to spend more time, you know, uh, work. Obviously there's multiple parts of your body. And so if you're only doing one kind of major body part at a time, then you're going to spend a lot of time in that session doing that body part, but you also have all the other body parts you're going to have to do during the week. So you're going to have to spend more time in the gym. So typically speaking, if you're really just trying to build your physique or maintain your muscle mass, I highly recommend just doing full body workouts. If you really want to get nitty gritty with like, you know, breaking up all the body parts into their individual pieces, so to speak, or at least in smaller pieces and spend five to six days in the gym, then body part splits is probably you know, going to be the best solution for you. 
one little thing about body part splits because I haven't talked about it so much. I've spent most of this time talking about full body workouts is when you're working on a specific body part, a lot of times it's if, if you're like have a really like focused attention, like let's say you want to bring up your shoulders. Like for me, I'll just give you an example for me because it's the easiest for me to talk about. When, uh, the body parts I'm trying to work on the most typically is my chest, my shoulders, my back, and my biceps. Like at this point, I got the legs that I want. I'm only 5'6". If, if my legs get any bigger, I'm going to be walking around like I got a wedgie. I'm not interested in that. So I, you, I, do, I don't skip leg day. I just don't like try to bring up that body part that much. So, you know, I'm really working. Most of my workouts have a shoulder, chest, back focus, and then like a bicep, tricep finisher. And that's my quote unquote full body workout because I'm working multiple parts of my body and I'll throw in some legs here and there if I want to, you know, keep my, obviously keep my legs strong, but not like try to, you know, get them any bigger than they already are. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'll do. So I'll focus on chest, let's say on Monday, I'll focus on, um, back usually the next day because back and chest are opposing muscle groups. So that's another thing you want to keep in mind is if you're splitting the body into its parts, you got to make sure that you're doing what's called antagonists. So you want to do chest and then the antagonist to that is is back. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're primarily, sorry, someone was trying to call me and it was spam. Um, has anyone noticed, by the way, how much, how little spam is uh, how little spam calls are coming in. Like for me, I used to get like at least 10 spam calls a day and now I get one maybe every four days. So that's been one of the nice things about the quarantine. Um, but anyway, uh, like I'll do chest on Monday, let's say back on Tuesday. So then if I want to do another push like movement or if I want to do another upper body push like movement, let's say I want to do shoulders on Wednesday, I'm more recovered than if I was to try to do chest and then shoulders the next day. Right. There have been some situations where I'll do chest and shoulders back to back days because my chest isn't completely beat up. Um, but I've I've sort of weeded that approach out because I've noticed that I recover better if I do uh, antagonists. So I do, you know, chest, back, shoulders, and then I'll usually throw in a leg exercise for the fourth day. And then the fifth day, what I've like, one of the things that I've really liked to do is do like pick three major body parts I want to bring up chest, usually back, and then usually shoulders. And then the fourth day, um, will be sort of like probably chest again, but not with like a, a strength focus, maybe more like a hypertrophy focus. And then I'll do like the fifth day will usually just be like a full body workout. And I like that because one, it kind of caps off the week for me. And two, it it kind of just gets more of a there's a more metabolic conditioning effect. Like I like to drop my rest a little bit and do, do kind of like a full body circuit. And again, that's just what's worked really good for me. I've done a lot of different things when it comes to strength training and different programs and different approaches and you know, as long as you have a main focus, like if you're trying to build muscle, as long as you have that as a main focus and you're cycling your workouts such that, you know, one month your main focus is strength, one month your main focus is hypertrophy or muscle building. And then the third focus is usually volume at that point. Like if you're doing it in that order, usually you're bringing up the volume with higher reps, less sets, usually less weight or definitely less weight. 
um, and you're going on from there. So, I mean, there's really no best approach. It, a lot of times it has to do with the time commitment you can make and also level of experience. Like I really don't need my beginner clients to be doing body part split workouts. Like they, they need to learn how to do a full, how to be more functional with their full body. Cause that's going to be much more transferable into the real world is full, you know, our bodies work as a dynamic system. They don't work as, you know, like my bicep doesn't just work by itself typically, unless I put it in a very, you know, isolated position. Usually, you know, we walk dynamically, everything is a dynamic process. So if I'm starting off somebody from the very beginning and I, and I know their exercise history isn't that long, then I always do full body workouts. Like there's always a full body component to it. And then as they start to become more functional become better at the movements, they start to, you know, just be overall better at lifting weights. Then we start to focus on things like particular body parts they want to bring up. I mean, that's always kind of the focus in the beginning. Like I always want to know that, but I need someone to be functional and have a little bit more experience and education before I just go, Hey, let's bring up your shoulders, right? You got to set that foundation. Just like it's great to eat whole healthy foods, but if you're trying to lose weight, it's probably a better approach first to understand your calories you know, intake and calorie output and a calorie deficit and all that stuff, because healthy food or not, it doesn't matter unless you're following that approach. So again, it's, it's kind of along, along the same lines there. Um, so anyway, that's, that's sort of what I wanted to talk about when it came to full body versus body part splits. Um, if there's something I didn't cover that you have a question about, like maybe you're listening to this and, and you've like been waiting, like maybe I'll answer my question just you know, based on what we're talking about, and I haven't, please reach out, let me know. Uh, I'd be more than happy to help you out if this is something that you're trying to decide how to organize. And as always, if you want your workouts written for you, hit me up. You know, I'm doing, uh, like I said in the beginning, I'm, I'm still got at least four spots left in coaching for May. So if you want to get on a, on a weightlifting program, you have the stuff you can use at home because as the recording or at the recording of this podcast, uh, gyms are still closed. And it looks like they'll, they will be for the foreseeable future, at least a couple months, uh, at this point, but we'll see. Um, so anyway, that's what, uh, that's what I wanted to talk about when it came to full body versus body part split workouts. Let's go ahead and move on to topic number two, which is a quote that I typically get and a phrase that I hear a lot, which is, I don't eat that much, but I can't seem to lose weight. All right. So this topic brings up a very important point to know going forward. So once you listen to this podcast and you start to understand this concept more, the easier it's going to be to accept that calories really are the most important thing. Okay. When it comes to weight loss, like if we're looking down the scope of weight loss, the only thing that matters is calories. Okay. The quality of your food does not matter. Now, I'm certified through Precision Nutrition. I have a background in holistic lifestyle coaching. The quality of your food does matter, but again, we're looking just down the scope of what it takes to lose weight, which is calories. And if you're eating, if you're not eating a lot, then you probably think that food volume equals quality volume, or I'm sorry, not quality volume, calorie volume. So if you look at a lot of food, you probably assume that there's a lot of calories because it's a lot of food. But something that's very important to understand is a term called calorie density. 
So calorie density describes the amount of calories per unit of food. So like for instance, peanut butter, very high in calories for a very small amount. If you look at the nutrition label of a, of a peanut butter jar, you'll notice that two tablespoons is 200 calories, which means that one tablespoon is 100 calories. If you look at a strawberry the same size, it's not even near that. It's like 25 calories. So the size of the food that you eat doesn't necessarily mean that that has a lot of calories. Okay, and, and when you, if you're new to the podcast or if you're new to my content, one of the things you'll hear me talk a lot about is high volume, low calorie food. You'll hear me talk a lot about the fact that you can eat a lot of food if you pick the right ones because they're so low in calories. And these are typically foods that have high water content and high fiber content, so fruits and vegetables. That's the reason why me and lots of other experts will tell you eat more fruits and vegetables. It's not just because they have higher vitamin or nutrient or mineral counts, which they do than most foods, but it's also because for the amount of calories you're getting, you're also going to get very full, which means that you're naturally going to eat less because let's face it, a lot of times, not all the time, but a lot of times the reason we overeat is because the food that we're eating doesn't fill us up for the amount of calories that it gives us. And again, this is one of the reasons why I talk so much about whole foods. With some clients, what I'll end up doing is if they're so lost in what they need to eat, like they're so confused, like, you know, my best friend told me bananas are bad. And then I saw this article online that said that if you eat potatoes, it's, you're going to gain fat. And there's just so much bullshit information out there that a lot of times I'll be working with somebody and they'll, they'll get frustrated. They're like, I don't really know what I should be doing. And I'll say, okay, well, listen, let's make it very simple. I don't care about how much food you eat right now. I just want you to focus on learning what whole foods are. So learning that fruits and vegetables in their natural state are completely fine. You can eat as much of these as you want. And we'll talk a little bit about that in understanding your relationship with food in the next topic. But what's important to understand is that if you are typically eating a lot of processed foods, simply switching to whole foods will displace a lot of the calories that you would normally eat in processed foods. One thing that I've noticed both through doing the research and through just being a coach and observing and just being a human being, because obviously, you know, I eat too. I'm not just, you know, sitting here coaching and getting all my calories from sunlight, although some people believe that's a thing, which is absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, one of the things I've noticed is that Typically speaking, you will stop eating when you are no longer hungry. When you're no longer hungry, you'll typically stop eating. And there's actually research to show that people use their hunger signals or their lack of hunger signals to determine whether or not they're going to eat again. Well, there's something really important to understand about whole foods. Whole foods, the components of whole foods work on satiety much faster than the components of processed foods. And here's why. Processed foods are studied, or I shouldn't say they're studied. Food is studied. And what companies will do that produce processed food is they'll look at for all the ingredients that would cause somebody to stop eating. And they remove those or they somehow engineer food so that it doesn't have those components. Like one of the things that a lot of food companies will do is take fiber out. Because if you have fiber in a food, it's going to fill you up a lot faster. One of the other things you might notice about these quote-unquote healthy nutrition bars is they might have high fiber, but they also will have some kind of sugar component. 
because while fiber might make you feel you know, more full sooner, sugar will do the opposite. It'll actually encourage you to eat more. And that's probably one of the reasons why people think sugar makes you fat. They think that like the cal, obviously there's people out there that think the calories in sugar are somehow different than the calories in anything else, which is wrong. The effect that sugar has on your brain is such that it encourages you to eat more. Okay, and this is this is so hardwired into our brains that there's really no way to avoid it other than just being cognitive of what we're eating. So that's that's what that's kind of where the human element comes in. Just like you have to be aware of what you're doing, and you have to be educated and why sugar reacts like this is in your brain. And one of the reasons why sugar is so exciting for the brain and it encourages us to eat more is because sweet things in nature, back when we were, you know, we didn't have grocery stores and we had to find things. And if you ate something off the ground, you better hope that it wasn't poisonous, but you didn't have some kind of like glossary where you can go, well, you know, these, these mushrooms are actually bad um, or whatever. Sweet was a way of telling our brains that this food was not poisonous and also told us that calories were more dense in this food because it had sugar. So our brains are hardwired through evolution to enjoy sugar and want to eat as much of it as we could. Now, our ancestors, people that would just find, you know, be be, uh, nomads and would travel and would stumble upon a fruit tree, would eat as much of it as they could because they didn't know when they were going to get that food again. We don't have that problem in, in the first world countries of the world. Food is always available for the most part. I mean, we're in the middle of a quarantine right now, and with the exception of some shortages here and there, the food supply has remained pretty well intact. And I'm I'm praying that it stays that way. But my point is, is that we don't really have a food abundance problem anymore. We have, well, I should say, we don't have a famine problem anymore. We do have a food abundance problem. So anyway, I totally forgot where I was going with that because I went on the sugar tangent, but. Oh yeah, processed foods. So understanding that when you eat whole foods, you're going to have less of a tendency to overeat them. There's still the possibility that you do overeat whole foods, but when we're looking at incremental steps to improve not only our relationship with food, but improve the quantity of calories we're consuming, whole foods is the best place to start. And I'll say this from experience as a coach, most people do not get enough whole foods. So if you're most people which let's see, if I had to put a number on that, I'd say probably about 85% of people don't get enough whole foods. If you can simply just start including more whole food nutrition in your diet and just start there and practice the cooking or the preparing or some level of preparation, if you can get used to that and stay consistent with it, you'll start dropping weight without even trying. Like you won't have to like spend hours in the gym or eat tremendously less you know, calories. All you have to do is switch a lot of the foods that you're eating out for whole food nutrition. So if you drink orange juice, instead have oranges or, you know, any, and that goes for any juice, to be honest. Like I don't drink juice at all unless I'm completely fine with the fact that I'm drinking my juice and I'm, I'm aware that that's what's going on. But Liquid calories can really add up if you're not aware of it because liquid calories don't fill you up. They're the least filling of all the foods. So if you have a glass of orange juice every morning, that's fine, but just remember that it's not going to contribute at all to your fullness. So if, you know, you you could go without the fruit juice or you can track your calories more diligently, you can have whatever you want, but you know, it's it's I, I hate to always bring up money because I could probably be an old analogy, but I mean, the way you use your money 
should be very similar to the way that you use your calories. And in fact, it should be exactly the same way. You wouldn't get, you know, let's say you get your paycheck, you wouldn't blow 90% of it on something you don't need, right? Well, that's what we do with food, right? We have our calorie allotments for the day, whatever they may be. And if you're struggling to either maintain the weight that you currently have or lose weight, you're not allocating calories the right way. That's, that's all it is. It's not a personal problem. It's not a judgment. You're just not allocating the calories the right way. What you want to always try to do is you want to try to maximize the amount of food you can eat while also minimizing the amount of calories. And this takes time. Like this isn't something that's really easy to do right off the bat. It does take some education and experience. But the best place to start is by increasing the amount of whole foods you eat. So if you can do that first, that's the first step. And then at that point, what I'll have a lot of my clients do is now we will start to track what the macronutrients look like. So even if you're not tracking macronutrients, you're always consuming some ratio of them. You're always consuming some ratio of protein, carbs, and fats. So once I get my clients good at eating whole food nutrition and, and making that a major priority, not a not 100%, like I like to shoot for 80%. I think 80% is reasonable because that still gives you 20% to kind of play with and have fun. Like last night I had pizza, but for lunch I had a more wholesome meal. So again, it, once you learn how to balance healthier options with less healthier options, you don't really start, you're not really having a problem so much with not only knowing what to eat, but also, you know, managing the calories of all of that. So Again, if you're the kind of person that doesn't eat much, like physical food, like if you if I was to look at your plate and it didn't look like a lot of food, make sure you're aware of the density of calories. Because like again, like the peanut butter example, two tablespoons of peanut butter doesn't look like that much, but it's 200 calories, which for a lot of people is like half of their meal when it comes to calories. And I'm not saying you can't have peanut butter. I'm just saying understand the calorie density. It's also important to understand that fat... So dietary fat, like in cheese or peanut butter or avocados or coconuts, they have nine calories per gram, which means they have double the amount of calories of protein or carbs per unit, so per gram, essentially. So that's another thing to keep in mind. Fat calories are more dense, which again is not, a, not me saying you shouldn't eat them. It's just, it's like saying, listen, that is... Thing that you want to buy on Amazon is more expensive for the same amount of look here. What's a good example? What could we use? Um, let's say you're buying, I don't know, underwear, right? And it comes in a pack of six, right? You can you can buy six pairs of underwear for 20 bucks. I don't know. Um, there's the same type, but it's a different brand. Like it's a different, it's like a more name brand. It's basically the same thing, six pairs, but it's $45. That's it's the same thing, right? But it costs more. Well, that's kind of what calories from fat are. They're still calories, but there's more calories in a smaller amount or the same amount, I should say. So again, just understanding that about of fats. Um, so yeah, when when you're trying to understand why you're not eating that much, but you're not losing weight, it could be a lot of other things too. By the way, like it, you might very well be under eating your calories, right? But you could also 
just be impatient. Like you could be tracking it every single day and expecting weight loss every single day. And that's just not how weight loss works. Weight loss really is a roller coaster. And it's probably the most frustrating roller coaster you've ever been on because a lot of people quit before they even get to the end uh, because they don't understand why their weight is going up and down. Again, like you've heard in many episodes of this podcast or just, you know, if you follow my content at all, your weight is going to fluctuate wildly. And that's completely normal. Some of the most successful um, clients of mine had like huge valleys and huge um, peaks in their weight loss graphs. Like I've posted a couple of them actually where, you know, like one woman, I think this is a while ago, so I don't remember if it if it exactly worked like this, but I think she gained like five pounds in a day and she was like messaging me crying. She's like, I, I don't, I can't do this. Like I'm, I, I gained five pounds. Like I, I did everything right. What's going on. I said, you just gotta be patient. Your weight is fluctuating. It's completely fine. It's going to go back down. I told her, I said, you have to trust me, right? You hired me because you trust me to get you the results you want. And I'm telling you right now, everything's fine. You're going to be okay. Within three days, she not only dropped the five pounds she had put on, but she dropped another two pounds over that. So she dropped a total of seven. And then her faith was restored. But I told her, I said, listen, this is going to happen again. It's going to happen a couple of times. It's going to happen pretty much the entire process. So now that you've been through this first, like if you're on a roller coaster, after the first like big drop, you're you're a little more, you're a little less sensitive to it, right? You're expecting it now. It's still like wild and crazy and a thrill, but you're not as sensitive to that next couple of drops. Well, that's what you kind of want to think about when you're when you're losing weight is like, okay, my weight spiked. I know it's just water. I worked out the other day, so I'm probably a little inflamed. So I'm retaining more water. Okay, I won't freak out. Just keep, you know, keep doing the same things I've been doing. And then a couple of days, your weight drops and you feel really good. And so you think, okay, well, now it's going down and then it's going to go back up again. And if you're not mentally prepared for your weight to go back up, it's always going to feel like a struggle. But if you can anticipate the fact that your weight's going to jump around all the time and it's going to go up some days, it's going to go down some days. If you're a woman, it's going to go up when, you, when you're on um, that time of the month, when you're on your period. You just have to expect a lot of these things. And that's one of the advantages of having a coach or listening to somebody who has experience as a coach uh, with these things is that, listen, this is what to expect. If you're listening to this right now and you freak out every time you step on the scale or you go absolutely ecstatic every time you get on the scale, a scale. I get it, but keep in mind that weight fluctuations on a day-to-day basis is going to happen whether you're trying to lose weight or not. So again, using the scale as a way to determine whether or not you should keep doing what you're doing in a short amount of time is really not that useful. It's good when you look at it, when you look at a week's average over the course of four to six weeks in the beginning, you'll start to see a trend and that trend will tell you what you're doing and if it's working. But on a day-to-day basis, the scale pretty much is is useless. So don't let that determine what you do next, okay, until you've, you've seen a trend over multiple weeks. So anyway, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about when it came to, you know, not quote-unquote eating that much, but not realizing that, like most, like I'll, I'll kind of end on this, on this front. A lot of the clients that I work with or people that I talk to when I see their food journals, a lot of these people are drinking their calories. So if there's one tip I could give you right now is just look at a day in the life of your eating and try to point out all the liquid calories you're drinking. So the frappuccino, you know, fancy whatever at Starbucks 
or the two or three sodas that aren't diet, right? That are um, that do have you know actual sugar in them that have calories. Um, look at the sauces, the oils that you cook with. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying pay attention to the quantity of oils and liquid calories that you're using. And I promise you that if you start to look at those objectively and you start to realize, I don't really need three Cokes a day. I could totally do two. Or instead of drinking you know, regular soda, try diet soda. Or like one of the things that I tried for a while, and I don't do it anymore because I, I just don't like it, is sugar-free syrup. Like if we would have pancakes on the weekend, I would... I tried sugar-free syrup for a while. Um, one of the things I've been doing to, to make my water taste a little bit better, you know, like if I'm just bored of drinking my usual, you know, amount of water per day and I want something that tastes a little bit different, a little bit better, I'll try those packets, those uh, sweetener packets that are um, uh, no calorie sweeteners or whatever, like stevia or whatever. And I'll, and I'll try that. Like when I make lemonade, that's what I do. I squeeze real lemons. I get some water, I get some ice, and then I, I put some stevia in there, stir it all up and it tastes just like lemonade, but I'm not adding any calories to the sugar. So it's little things like that. When you start to pay attention to that, when you start to be more objective of, the, of those little moments, what you start to realize is, is that in a lot of cases, not everyone's the same way, but in a lot of cases, the calories you're consuming aren't noticeable. That's that's a quote that I typically will think to myself is that the calories that I eat should be noticeable pretty quickly within eating them, right? And by pre pretty quickly, I mean anywhere between five to 20 minutes. Like if you're still hungry after five to 20 minutes, you probably didn't eat a lot of protein. There probably wasn't a lot of fiber, probably wasn't a lot of whole foods in that. So anyway, um, more questions on that. Again, feel free to reach out and let me know. All right, so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about why your relationship with food matters. And we've touched on a lot of things already in the in the second topic, but I want to first sort of define what it means to have a relationship with food. For the longest time, I really didn't know what that meant. I mean, obviously, having a relationship with food sounds, at least to me, it sounded kind of weird at first. Like, what do you mean? Like, what does that entail? And the easiest way to think about it is the way in which you behave either around food or how food makes you behave, right? So for instance, lots of people will tell me like, you eat a lot of carbohydrates, aren't you afraid of getting fat? Or I'll have a client tell me, I don't eat a lot of carbohydrates because I'm afraid they'll make me fat. Or I don't eat fat because my 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 I have a history of heart disease in my family, so I just don't eat fat at all. And I'm like, okay, you know, and we'll talk about these things. And so when you're afraid of food, you will typically do things that are very extreme and dramatic and they don't need to be. And that's why it's so important to, to listen to podcasts like mine and to find people in the industry who really know, uh, you know, the, the science of food and, and the science of how food and calories affect your weight. Because almost every single bit of information that I've ever gotten online from, you know, shit sources in terms of credibility, they're always fearing you in or, or yeah, fear mongering into believing a certain way to then have you buy their product or whatever. So the food industry, not the food industry, the weight loss industry is about 90% fear-based, right? Don't eat this. Don't eat that. Don't do this. Only do this if you want to get fat. There's this kind of, there's negativity towards food that comes out. And as a result, what even if you're not 
paying super close attention to your weight or to the the media or the marketing or whatever. These things will subliminally add up and you start to think that basically you can't eat anything, right? One study will show that fat causes heart disease in women over 40 with, you know, brown hair. And then you'll see another study that says, oh no, that that study wasn't uh, completely done right. Here's what actually happened. These women with brown hair, uh, you know, dyed their hair. And so it, it wasn't really, a, uh, it wasn't women with brown hair, it was women with black hair. And it's just like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, so there's a lot of conflicting information, but what you can, if, if you're in my position, for instance, where you do the research and you look at the studies and you look at multiple studies that have been done on the same thing, what you start to realize about science is, is that very few studies, even when they're bound together, like even when multiple studies, like 10 studies on the same subject are done, very few of them, even put all together, can be conclusive as to one thing causing, you know, a problem. So this fear of carbs, fats, meat, you know, because they cause cancer, heart disease, all this stuff, the evidence isn't that strong, right? There isn't a lot of really strong evidence. Uh, you know, like when you look at meat, you'll see that there's not really strong evidence that shows that it causes heart disease. Saturated fat, we've been af- afraid of that for, you know, I don't know what, 60 years at this point. There's no definitive evidence that shows that saturated fat causes heart disease as a single component. Because when they do studies on people that consume a lot of saturated fat, they also will smoke and drink typically, which means that the people that are eating saturated fat in this study are probably eating it or eating things like fast food and, and other, like the forms of saturated fat that you would get if you were, weren't really paying attention. But if you were eating a moderate amount and you were also balancing that out with, you know, leaner cuts of meat and fibrous vegetables and things like that, the studies don't show that those same people are, you know, dying of, of heart disease related to saturated fat intake. So a lot of times because the variables, it's hard to, you know, like for instance, in a lot of the earlier studies, it was hard to single out people that were healthy and also eating saturated fat. So there, there were other components that were potentially affecting the result of the study. So I'm going a little off topic. I'm going to bring, ring us back in. My point with all this is, is that our relationship with food is usually very bad. Like we start off with a bad relationship with food because of all the information we've been given. So this is what I would recommend for you. Start looking for sources that are not conclusive towards any one thing, right? Be open-minded, right? I can tell you with confidence that fat, carbs, and protein do not cause you any specific disease by themselves and that typically speaking, do the diseases that you want to watch out for are the ones that result from an unhealthy lifestyle in general. So constantly overeating, so constantly eating more calories than you need, which obviously adds to your total calorie intake, which over time adds to your fat mass. And having too much fat on your body isn't a good thing, but having you know a moderate amount to a low amount is probably a lot better. There's been studies to show that a lower calorie intake, and that's a sub, that's sort of subjective. I mean, what does that really mean? But for the person, someone who's eating at maintenance, slightly below some of the time, slightly above some of the time, so again, kind of a mix, is going to have a much longer life than someone who's constantly overeating. And the fastest way to constantly overeat how many calories you need is to consistently, or for the majority of your calories coming from processed foods and low activity levels. 
right? So again, I'm not saying you have to run a marathon every day, but if you're not being active in some way, shape, or form, that's going to add to your uh, risk of dying early. If you're not eating a whole food nutrition that helps keep your calories managed and supplies you with good nutrition, vitamins, minerals, and, and phytonutrients and all that good stuff, yeah, it's going to add to the, the likelihood that you'll die at a younger age. And I don't mean to say this because to, to scare you, but it's a reality that if you don't take your health seriously, then it, what, I mean, what else do you expect, right? You're not going to be invincible forever. You were, we all have this idea that we we're going to, we're going to live forever. Like we did from, you know, childhood to our thirties. Like we're just, you know, no, your body isn't the same over the age of 30. We talked about in the last episode, how, you know, our metabolism slow down every decade, um, after the age of 30. So, and I like to say that nature doesn't give a shit about us anymore because we're past the age of needing to get to the point where we are of childbearing age, right? If you're 40, the only thing you're trying to do is stay around long enough to raise your kids. Nature doesn't give a shit about you anymore. Uh, you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I like to look at things from an evolutionary standpoint, whether it's for fact and it helps me put things into perspective or even for humor in a lot of sense. Um, so anyway, relationship with food. This is what you do. All food is on the table. I like to say this to, to my clients. You can have any food that you want. But at the same time, you have to understand that some foods you need to be more moderate with and some foods you can eat more of, no problem. All right, so it's the 80-20 rule. This is the, this is my, the foundation of all of my nutrition is that 80% of the time you're trying to eat the most nutritious and, and healthy foods in the right ratios. And then 20% of the time, and you can divide that how, however you want, 20% of your calories are for fun foods. Foods that, you know, probably don't have a lot of nutrition or any nutrition in them that are very calorie dense that, you know, you eat a very small amount and it's, it adds up to, you know, a quite a bit of calories and you can have these foods. I don't think that it's important to ever eliminate a single food unless, and I'll say this with an asterisk, unless you understand or you're not ready to take that food on in a, in a healthy manner. So I'll give you a perfect example. I don't eat ice cream anymore. I've had bad experiences with ice cream where I binge ate ice cream uh, so much that I spent six hours the next day vomiting. And I can tell you this story really quick. Um, it was Christmas Eve. We were at my parents' house. I had a very stressful fall that year. Money wasn't coming in as a trainer. It was people. It was my first year as a trainer and I really didn't know what was going on. Like I didn't know the nature of things so I didn't know what to expect. So everything felt like I was turning around a corner and, and it was just I didn't know what to expect very stressed out. I finally went home for Christmas and when I'm relaxed, I like to eat. So what happened was, is from the moment that I got to my parents' house to the moment that I went to bed, I was eating. And at, it was the only experience that I've had where I was like, I'm not eating because I'm hungry. I'm eating because I'm depressed or I'm stressed. And I finally wasn't stressed for a couple, for, you know, 24, 48 hours. Since, you know, since um, in that in that span of time, I should say, in that series of time in the fall. And so I sort of learned my lesson because ice cream was a gateway to binge eating. And so after that experience, I told myself, OK, I, I need to manage this better. And so I learned from it. The months after that happened, I still couldn't get a, a strong grasp on it. 
And it wasn't until I took a break for a really long time from ice cream just to see how it would happen. Because, you know, since we're talking about relationship with food, I had an abusive relationship with ice cream, like just straight up. And now what I can do is because I stepped away and I understood what was going on, I realized that it wasn't the ice cream's fault, right? Ice cream is a mix of sugar, fat, uh, not really salt, but they, they do put a little bit of, you know, depends on what you're eating. Like if you're eating a, a salted caramel ice cream, there's some salt in there. But anyway, it wasn't the food's fault that I was overeating it. It was my relationship with the food. It was my, it was that I was eating to con- to give myself comfort instead of eating for pleasure without, um, eating with pleasure, knowing that I should stop at some point. Um, and it took me a really long time to realize like that. Like for, for example, I started that when I was probably about 22. And because I was so active at that age and I worked a job where I was on my feet eight to 10 hours a day, I, I didn't really pay for it in terms of calories. Like I was so active that I was pretty much matching uh, my calorie intake uh, for my calorie output. But as I got older and as I became an adult who had different responsibilities and a different lifestyle, that no longer worked for me. And so anyway, I came to the point where I had to take a break from ice cream, so to speak, right? And then reflect on what was really going on. So I did a lot of research on emotional eating. I did a lot of research on binge eating. And, you know, the focal point of a lot of that stuff is that it's all emotional based, right? You're eating for pleasure to comfort yourself from something that's in your life that's causing you stress. And so I couldn't really get rid of a lot of the stresses that were in my life. I I got rid of the ones that I was able to control, some of the other ones I wasn't able to control. And so I had to shift the way I handled my stress. Um, And by shifting how I handled my stress and coming up with ways to handle the stress without relying on food, I was able to curb that relationship with ice cream that was very abusive. And so now I don't really eat ice cream that often, and that's a choice, right? Something to understand is that if you feel like you're missing out on something, like for instance, when uh, I talk to people and I'll say, you know, do you still eat the same kind of foods that you did when you weren't dieting? And they'll say, no, I, I completely cut out this or completely cut out that. And I said, on a scale of one to 10, how bad are your cravings week to week? And they're like, oh, it's always a nine. And I'm like, oh, well, how do you deal with that? I just don't eat it. And I go, are you okay with doing that the rest of your life? And that's the moment they have that wake up call where like, oh shit, I can't not eat these foods the rest of my life. And sometimes I'll get like, well, I'm just doing it for this period of time. Yeah, I don't know. That's <laughs> I'm cutting out whatever for a month to lose weight. Okay, so then what happens after you bring it back in? You haven't handled the problem. You've only gotten rid of a symptom, right? If you start to overeat that after a month of losing weight, you're just going to gain the weight back. So it's the relationship with food that helps you maintain and sustain the weight that you lose because you're starting to learn how to not only have a relationship with food, but you're also starting to feel comfortable around moderation around certain foods, understanding that your satiety signals are very important. So it's better to fill up on these foods and then have a a smaller portion of these foods. Most people just eat to eat. And at this point in the world, just eating to eat doesn't work anymore because not all food is, is built with satiety or, uh, you know, uh, built with whole foods in mind, right? A lot of food is engineered for you to eat more of them and not even notice it. 
So we, we don't live in a world where the, the calories are controlled through, through Whole Foods exclusively anymore. Now we have so many options and there's so many food companies and the food industry is so big and their number one goal is to get you to eat as much of their food and enjoy it as you can. So they're all putting in ingredients that make you want to eat more and they're taking out ingredients that make you want to eat less. So we have to be mindful of that. That's why we have to be educated. It's my goal to educate every single person that I talk to about nutrition. That's one of the reasons why I started a podcast. It's one of the reasons why I started writing more about um, uh, you know, nutrition. It's one of the reasons why I have such a deep passion for nutrition. Not that I don't have a passion for fitness, but if I had to pick one, nutrition I could do the rest of my life. Fitness is, is fun. I enjoy it, but I could talk endlessly about nutrition. And so anyway, having some level of education on nutrition is paramount at this point. I think it's mandatory. We should teach nutrition in middle schools and high schools, and we, we teach it in college because at that point it's more of a specialty, but I think it's a necessity at this point. I think that the environment, the food environment has changed so much that not having a, an understanding of what's going on and not having a dedicated course where we teach every single child about nutrition to some extent and in a relatable way. Like I'm not saying you go out and you start telling them, you know, ask them how many calories does an apple have? No, start to teach them about the difference between whole foods and processed foods. Even if you spent an entire year doing that at like an elementary to high school level, that would be enough education to where if you did it the right way, Making a choice would be a lot easier without having a dramatic, like for instance, a lot of the people that I coach have no idea about any foods. Like I get people that come up to me and go, is, is a banana a good source of protein? And I'm not trying to be a jerk, but it's like, no, like, where did you get that idea? Right? Where did you get the idea that bananas, like they've asked kids what a chicken looks like and they don't know what a chicken looks like. Right. They know that a chicken nugget looks like this or a chicken breast looks like this. They have no idea what a chicken actually looks like. So we've been so far removed from our natural food environment that the education needs to be injected back into that. And that's one of the reasons why people have such a bad relationship with food is because there is no intimate connection between the food we eat anymore. Right? We used to raise or we used to gather our food, so we had a much better understanding of how food worked. Now we just eat food, and for a lot of us, preparing food is a nuisance. Like I don't love preparing food. I don't like wake up every morning and go, I can't wait to roast this broccoli or barbecue this chicken, but I understand that that education and that effort is important for my livelihood. So I can carry out the things that I love to do and I can have a better quality of life and I can you know, do these certain things and, and have good health. It's a res not only a responsibility, but at this point it is mandatory. If you wanna have a higher quality of life, you have to understand food and you have to have a good relationship with food. Okay, and, and you listening to this podcast is gonna help that. But at some point, you have to take it as a responsibility the same way you would take responsibility for your job or you would take responsibility for a dependent. Like if you had kids, right, or if you have kids, right, you can't just one day go, you know what, I don't want to take care of these anymore. Like I'm just bored. Like this is too much work. I, I'm not a dad, but I have dogs. So it's the closest thing that I have. And I can't just wake up and go, yeah, I'm not going to feed you today because I'm just tired of doing it. You have to have that same level of I have to do this. This is important. If you ever want to be 
in a position where you can put your health sort of on autopilot or at least have a sustainable approach. If you only ever approach your health in the sense that you're only taking care of it from a temporary standpoint, you'll always have temporary problems, or I'm sorry, you'll always have temporary results and you'll always have permanent problems. Okay, that's why it's so important. And I know the cliche that, you know, oh, this is a healthy lifestyle and lots of people fuck that up and it, 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 it annoys me because it's like you're, you're making fun of something that's really important and it actually is something that needs to be understood as important. If we keep joking about health being a lifestyle, then people aren't going to take it seriously enough to, until it's too late and they're dying of a disease they could have prevented 30 years ago. All right. So anyway, your relationship with food, the best thing you can do is realize that all food is immoral, which means that it has no, it's not out to get you. Sugar isn't, isn't out to make you fatter. All right. Fat isn't out to give you heart disease. Protein isn't out to give you cancer. All right. These are, they're, they're immoral. They just do what they're supposed to do. Once you eat them, you have complete control over how much you eat and you have complete control over once you have the education what you eat and understanding that. So take some personal responsibility and understand that all food is available for you. Managing it, just like managing money, right? You get a paycheck every every two weeks or every month or whatever, and you have to spend that money on bills, keeping your house you know, afloat, whatever it might be. Sure, you can have a pocket of that money that maybe you use to save up for something you really want, but you don't go and blow your whole check on a 90-inch TV and then your kids just eat ramen noodles, right? And if they do that, you're a shitty parent. I'm just kidding. Well, you are a shitty parent, but I know nobody listening to that is is listening to this podcast is doing that. And if you are doing that, stop listening to this podcast. I don't want people like that listening to my podcast. Um, but you get my point, right? You have to spend some of your 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 money on the necessities. You have to spend some of your calories, hopefully the majority of your, your calories, on the necessities. And still make room for those fun foods. So that you have you have a healthy relationship with food, but you also understand that food is can be very easily abused. And I'm not judging people that abuse food. I've done the exact same thing. I'm talking from experience. I have empathy for you. All right. If you're someone who finds themselves typically overeating a lot of these processed foods, I'm not saying all this because I think you're a bad person. I'm saying this because I understand what you're going through and I want to help you. I want you to understand that there is a way to have both. It takes some work. It's not going to be as, as you know, wonderful all the time because you are going to have to put some work into it and, and you're, there's going to be some resistance to want to not do that work. But trust me, if you put the work in, in the beginning and you just keep chugging along and eventually you'll get to the point where it's easier to have a balance between the two. Okay. So. Um, we're at about 55 minutes. I'm going to go ahead and close things up for today's podcast. I really, really enjoyed this podcast. I mean, I, I enjoy all of them, but you know, this one I think was, was a little bit more on the psychology and, uh, more philosophical in a way, you know, finding the importance in understanding that this shit is important and it's, and it's not to be taken lightly in the sense that if you focus on it now, like if you're in your if you're 30 or younger, or even if you're in your 40s, 50s, and 60s, you still have plenty of time to try to improve your nutrition. Okay, It's not too late. It's never too late. All right. All right. So anyway, that is today's episode. Thanks a ton for listening to today's uh, episode. If you want to leave a review for my podcast, I would highly, highly 
recommend it, but I would also really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, give me whatever rating you think it deserves. Five stars, obviously the one that I would like to have, but I want your honesty. And if you have any comments you'd like to leave, whether you really enjoy the podcast or there's a topic you'd love for me to cover, feel free to leave a comment as well. And uh, make sure you check out some of the other places that I am um, on social media, like Instagram, Facebook. Um, What else do I have? My website, shanehubbardfit.com. There's lots of different places. But anyway, thanks for listening to the Barbells and Burgers podcast. I will see you in a future episode.